American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy, don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ensigns Podcast. Sam Eldridge here. And Blaine Eldridge. Okay, you're so surprised I said that. We had a conversation this week with Dr. Charles Stone on his new book, Holy Noticing the Bible, Your Brain, and the Mindful Space Between Moments. Now, I want to apologize before we go any further. We were Skyping him in from Canada, where he currently is. And so there, there were some audio quality issues. We've done our best to work around those. If you have the full heads up, Hopefully you won't be taken up by them because there's some really great stuff in here. Yeah, this book could have been written because I wanted it. It's another take on what does it look like to shape our lives around a deep understanding of human nature as God has built it to run. And one of the practices that's going to contribute to a further experience of God is stillness. Uh, What he frames as mindfulness It could be framed as contemplative prayer. Dr. Stone has done deep research both into the neuroscience of stillness and flourishing, as well as lived a life with God and recognized his own need to structure his time differently. So I think you guys will really enjoy it. There's some real practical stuff in here. If you can get past some of the audio quality stuff, it's good. It's really good. Here's Dr. Stone. Dr. Stone, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you guys. First question actually comes out of personal curiosity. Your ministry is called Stonewell Ministries. To what extent is that a double entendre on your last name? <laughs> Probably is. I was. Uh, I've had a few coaches in the past few years, and when I was uh, developing um, a consulting ministry, one of my coaches he came up with the name, and it was kind of like a, a double entendre. So, <laughs> a good catch there. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we're talking about your book, The Holy Noticing. And I've actually, I can't help but have this first reaction to there's, I think, some defensiveness or some kind of like, hang on, slow down, folks, with some of the, the connotations we might have with some of the words that you use, even in the title of mindfulness. Um, now, Full confession here, I don't actually bring those to the table. Mindfulness doesn't necessarily trigger anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you you clearly operate in a world where some people are bringing uh, some connotations to the table as to absolutely what yeah. mm-hmm. what that might be, what that might insinuate. Um, when you when you chose that word and you chose to kind of take on this concept, what are you afraid that people might think that you are talking about? Well, it's a really great question. The original title was something like Christian Mindfulness, and there was a subtitle. And in the publishing process, of course, you guys certainly know that, you have to work with your publisher, and they've got to be comfortable with what you're you're presenting. And uh, so 
they felt that their audience was this. And because mindfulness, not for me, not for you guys, it doesn't bother me that it could really throw some flags up. So in the subtitle, uh, we got the word mindful. So and it's mindful is one of the word, biblical words, so it's a little more subdued. So there really was some intentionality in that so that it would not throw up those immediate barriers like, oh, this is like new age, crazy, weird stuff. And I had my title, but also had the definition, holy noticing it was in that. So it wasn't just uh, motivated by us getting away from the word mindfulness. It also did reflect kind of how I'm how I'm defining it. So that was that's a good catch and <laughs> a good, good, insightful question, fair question. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about it. Many of our guys I know are not only not triggered, but actually have never seen the word or heard of the practice before. What is mindfulness and how does it relate to holy noticing? Yeah, yeah. Well, mindfulness is really all the rage now. Um, two years ago, Apple's uh, number one app, or they pick an app of the year, was a, a mindfulness app. Uh, New York Times, uh, like a year or two ago, across the, uh, the headlines, mindfulness. Um, uh, the governments are spending literally hundreds of million dollars pursuing this whole thing. And mindfulness is, is essentially... Uh, being present in the moment with the circumstances, the people you're with, and your your thoughts and your emotions. Now, what's really put it on the map is 20 by 25 years ago, um, scientists refined uh, MRIs. You know, MRIs is when you take a picture, your brain has got a big, big magnet. You know, your brain or the part of your body. They developed something called a functional MRI, which basically showed what part of the brain kind of lights up. It doesn't really light up. But what part of the brain is active in certain mental processes? So while as mindfulness was kind of in the background, as they began studying the brain and people who were practicing mindfulness in these tubes, it has just absolutely you know, exploded uh, and find the, the actual physical benefits to that. Now, the Christian world, which we're, you know, we're, we tend to lag behind, <laughs> unfortunately, we're beginning to catch up. Uh, so there have been some Catholic writers on mindfulness, some Anglican writers on mindfulness, some uh, you know, mainline Protestant uh, writers, just a few, though. And so because of my personal experience uh, with some really difficult situation with my daughter and my personal experience with mindfulness, um, that's kind of brought to the forefront of I want to get this message out in the in the Christian conversation that we can learn to be present in the moment. There's a lot of good stuff that comes out of it. It's really good. It definitely falls in line with a lot of things that we are, are trying to practice ourselves of being aware of kind of what's going on around you, not necessarily bringing our own agenda to a moment, but being open to seeing what God might be up to. Um, you mentioned your daughter. I'm curious how how this became a topic that you were passionate about, that it was something that you wanted to dive into. And I mean, mm-hmm. from everything from practice to the science, I mean, this is not just a, oh, that's kind of a cool fad. And I downloaded the app type mm-hmm. of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, it's, it's a very visceral, uh, very um, emotional um, part of the tapestry that God's 
brought my wife and I three. We have three kids, um, and Tiffany is our youngest. And this whole journey actually began literally in a high chair. Not I was not the high chair. She was actually in the high chair, a year old, in Laurel, Mississippi. That's where my wife is from. Christmas morning, like 32 years ago, and I was feeding Tiffany pureed kumquat or, or whatever it was. And I noticed her left eye was quivering. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys got kids, but when your kids, when something like that happens, that's really, really weird, disconcerting. So a couple of days later, took her to a doc- doctor. He said, hey, it's probably nothing. It's probably a strabismus. I uh, said, basically, it's something your, your kid grows, grows out of. He said, when you go back to Atlanta, you'll live in Atlanta at the time, you might want to check with a specialist. Went to a specialist, he said, ah, probably a strabismus. They'll sugar out of it. But let's take a scan anyway. This is kind of pre-MRI days. Took the CAT scan a few days later. Literally, as I, we were coming home. We had a little rental home, a little small drafty rental home. So I was opening the door, phone was ringing, ran into the, uh, into the kitchen. Picked it up. It was a doctor. He says, Mr. Stone, we have the results of the scan. And I paused for a minute. He says, she has a lesion on her brain. Now, I've never heard of lesion. You know, I think a lesion, you skin your knee and put, you know, ointment on it. And then he said something that literally changed the trajectory of our lives. He says, your daughter has a brain tumor. You know, one-year-old girls aren't supposed to get brain tumors. Oh, my goodness. So... Fast forward ahead, the next 25, 30 years, Tiffany's had a dozen brain surgeries. She's had a device put into her chest to control seizures, which was taken out. She had an experimental device put into her brain, which did help, but that was taken out. She had part of her brain taken out, called a temporal lobectomy. And so we've lived in this neuroscience world for decades, and I saw what happened when something is physically wrong with the brain. And that's created a passion in me to pursue insight into how does the brain work and are there some applications to living the Christian life, to having healthy relationships. So that's the storyline. It's very much a part of the tapestry, what's behind this, my whole passion in how the brain works, which led to mindfulness. Wow. I know that this is your second book on the topic of neuroscience and the spiritual life. It actually might be more than your second book, but it's the second one that I saw. Why has this one come in the order that it's come? I know that you've done Mm -hmm. other work on what we need to know about the brain and, Mm -hmm. uh, and its relationship to human nature as God has built it. Where are we in the trajectory of engaging the brain and a life with God? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, with, with the, the history behind us, or is still in it somewhat, with, with Tiffany, I wanted to really learn more about how the brain works and how that intersects with real spiritual formation spirituality. So I found out about a, an executive master's program in the neuroscience of leadership, that basically a secular program that took neuroscience and intersected that with what leaders do. So I, it was a two-year two program, actually took three years, and out of that came my prior book called Brain Savvy Leaders. But my thesis in that program was how do you, how do you apply neuroscience for Christian leaders? So I actually had this body of material, a good bit of material, and then that provided good foundation for actually writing the book that goes beyond leaders and just kind of a general, you know, general reach. 
Okay. Okay. We this is we're we're just flirting around the edges now. That my my curiosity. I I need I need more. So can you begin to like flesh out when you talk about holy noticing and what that practically looks like um, in yep. any given moment? Um, what makes that holy noticing as opposed to just pausing and trying to be quiet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I define holy noticing in this way. It's an art, a really. A, it's not really a science. It's, and there's science involved, but it's an art. Uh, the art of holy noticing is noticing with a holy purpose, God and his handiwork, our relationships, and our inner world of thoughts and feelings. So there's you know three, three, three or four components in that definition. First of all, it's noticing, but it's God-centric. It's noticing God at work, noticing his work, his handiwork, noticing our relationships we're in, and our inner world, which includes our thoughts and emotions. And what I've actually done, I've broken that, uh, the actual practical application of that into an acronym. You know, we use acronyms all the time. BFF, you know, best friend forever. Uh, VIP, uh, ACC, that's Atlantic Coast Conference. I went to Georgia Tech, so I, I'm an ACC guy. So, you know, we have those, we have a lot of those. So the application comes through the word breathe. And each one of those letters in breathe actually represents an area of holy noticing as well as uh, that area a practical application or practical tool that someone can can use to to build it in in, as a way of life i'm in what is the breathe model (laughs) i know i know how acronyms work the letters stand for something else what are they (laughs) i I set you up there didn't i yes (laughs) Well, I'll go through it, and let me tell you why I used uh, this acronym. That one of the uh, a true Christian mindfulness is both uh, a state and a trait. Let me explain that. It is a state, like when I in the morning. I'm a morning person, so I have my devotional experiences in the morning, and I practice mindfulness before I came on mid morning. I have a 20 minute uh, of, of holy noticing or, or mindfulness. So I was really focusing on it right then. It is also a trait, not just a state you're in, but a trait. Hopefully, um, you know, a lifestyle. And the Christian following Christ is not just what you do on Sunday morning and what you do and you read your Bible. It's hopefully a, a lot, you know, a lifestyle. So this acronym is one that uh, you practice intentionally in the context of whatever devotional practice, um, you know, people do. And then you you live it out during the week. So here's how it is. B-R-E-A-T. Uh, B-R-E-A-T-H-E. B, I'll just go through these uh, and then can unpack them if you want to. B stands for body. And let me kind of step back a second. Each one of these is really a look in. It's an interior look. It's pausing to look in. B stands for body. R stands for relationship. E stands for environment. A stands for affect. Now, that's just a fancy word for emotions. A stands for affect. T stands for thoughts. H stands for heart. Now, the final letter, E, really means engage. This is like living it out. So I'll go with those again. B for body, R for relationship, E, environment, A, affect, T, thoughts, and H, heart. So that's what each one of the letters stand for. And if you want me to, I can kind of tease those out a little bit more if you like. Actually, what I'd like to ask is, 
you're making an assumption about the average moment of a person's engagement of a day. What is what is your what is that state? Because this feels like this whoa 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 to a state that I think that most people are on autopilot and not really thinking about. Well, the word you use autopilot is right on. We mostly live in autopilot mentally, emotionally, and physically. We're so busy going from one moment to the next, and we're always wanting to get to the next better moment. So this, this acronym and the practice of mindfulness is not meant to be some weird, you know, like, well, this is kind of weird stuff. No, it's, it's meant to be daily life. And the reason I chose breath is that that's something everybody does unless they're dead. And it's easy to remember. It is neutral. Breath in the Bible is from the Old Testament to the New. In the Old Testament, God breathed on Adam. He became a living being. In the New Testament, Jesus breathed and the, and the Holy, Holy Spirit came. So, the, the, let me put it this way. It is, it is not hard to do. It is very hard to remember to do because we're constantly on autopilot. In fact, there's an ancient, ancient practice called stadio. It's a kind of an obscure practice, but the monks did this in the Middle Ages, S-T-A-T-I-O. And what they did was they, they paused between one task to the other. So they would stop this one task, and stadio was that pause before they went to the next task. So in their hearts and in their mind, they finished that task. They paused to be present for God. Then they moved to the next task. Mm-hmm. So the breathe model is really much like how the monks did way back when they stopped in this, the normal routine of life. And then the key, though, is remember to do that. And one of the things I do, guys, is I have, I have an app. It's called Timeout. There's a bunch of them on my computer. I actually turned it off for our conversation now. But you set these apps for a certain time period. Like mine is a, a, an hour and seven minutes. It's a little over an hour. What it does, it comes on. It darkens my screen for three minutes. I've set it for three minutes. And that is a cue for me to stop. I'll close my eyes and I'll go through the B-R-E-A-T-H just for three minutes, then start back up again. And so uh, the practical application of that, we can count on some of these little tools uh, to, to remind us to, to do that. Wow. Okay, so I want to know about the acronym and I want to know a little bit about about the method first, I know because the materials around your book told me that there are particular ways of looking that holy noticing involves. What are the ways of looking that holy noticing involves? And then maybe out of that, I want to go back into looking at each of those yeah. uh, parts of the acronym. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little history. I'll go back in history just a bit here. Uh, when the persecution really ramped up after the New Testament era, Christians went into the deserts of Syria, uh, Palestine, Egypt to get away from the persecution. And what they did was, in that quietness and no distraction, you know, no persecution, they developed these skills of, of noticing, of being mindful, of being present before the Lord. Uh, a couple centuries later, Constantine declared Christianity legal. Uh, the church got diluted. Uh, you know, well, hey, I'll, I'll sign up. I'm a Christian now. 
others join this group. About 30,000 of these people, they, they call the desert mystics or desert mothers and fathers, were in this area. And they learned these skills. And one of the things they did was they developed something called the Jesus Prayer. And the Jesus Prayer was based on a couple of scriptures from the Gospels. And it went like this. On the in-breath, it would be a Lord Jesus. On the out-breath, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, on the in-breath, have mercy on me. And that's really kind of carried on through the next uh, several, several centuries. But one of the ways that you can key yourself to practice it is during the day, practice what I call the breath prayer. Now, it could be that one. Uh, what, what I have chosen for me is, it just works for me, is on the in-breath, I will do Holy Spirit. On the out-breath, breathe on me. Of course, in my mind, you know, I'll do that. It just, I'll be still. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. And I'll do that several times. Sometimes I'll even do what I call Trinitarian prayers. Lord Jesus, you know, I praise you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Lord Jesus, you are good. Or Heavenly Father, all-powerful. Heavenly Father on the in-breath. Um, omniscient on the out-breath. And what it does, that helps us actually slow down the crazy uh, thoughts that are constantly, constantly jumping around. So that's a simple thing during the day that we can do. It's just part of, you know, we're breathing, we can pause, and we can stop. And by focusing on this something neutral and our own Jesus prayer, it is an entree into each of the, the aspects of the breath model. It's it's really good. I love that it's this recentering and turning back towards Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Father. I do like that you you'd say that you do it in your head because otherwise we'd have a lot of people practicing it out loud and kind of rocking back and forth and muttering and it could look a little bit like a crazy person. The pause thing between activities is so good. I just am so aware of the frenetic pace of 2019 has yeah. me going from meeting to coffee shop to phone call to email to home life. And I kind of am just like mixing the paint of all of those interactions through, yeah. through the day. Um, you mentioned earlier that these behaviors, these actions, these, um, these habits can actually have like bodily and neurological effects. Could you talk yes. a little bit about what those, what those are? Yep. Well, the whole, whole neuroscience world has discovered an incredible, incredible number of benefits. From a psychological standpoint, um, they've discovered that uh, mindfulness practice, in some cases, is effective for depression and anxiety as medication. Hmm. Now, I'm not minimizing medication because some of you need that. But they're finding that there's incredible benefit there. Other thing they found out is... In our brain, there's something called the amygdala. It's an almond-shaped uh, group of neurons. Uh, there are actually two of them. That's our fight-flight center. It's involved in fear. What they found is that uh, when we're under chronic stress, we actually grow neurons in that part of our brain, and we actually decrease the number of neurons in our thinking center, this front, front part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. What they found is that mindfulness actually uh, physically calms and dials down and turns down that fight flight center so it helps us be less reactive that's one of the things for me is when i throw my early christian life man I, and i still do i practice spiritual disciplines i prayed i read scripture i fasted i did all those kind of things and yet man i'm still struggling with anxiety oh man if i'm a pastor why, why am i still struggling with this 
And then I understood kind of how the mind and brain works and practice mindfulness. And although I'm not there, I've still got a long way to go. I found for me, my level of anxiety is lower. My tendency toward uh, defensiveness is lower. My tendency toward ruminating about, oh, what if this happens? And my kid used to kid, uh, kid me late and say, Dad, you're, worst, you're the worst case scenario guy. So uh, those are some of the benefits. They've also found out that it's beneficial to relationships because, you know, empathy is a very important part of really having healthy relationships when I can step into your shoes. What they found out is mindfulness gives us a great ability to empathize with others, but not just empathize, but be motivated to help relieve somebody else's hurt and pain or suffering. So that's just mm-hmm. like a, a snapshot. Now it's not a, it's not a, a golden uh, magical elixir, but the, the benefits are, um, are quite amazing. Uh, you you said that that when we're in a state of stress, neurons grow and we kind of create this perpetual like loop of being stressed. Like this this to me this to me is setting up a red flag because I know I've had several conversations with guys who are saying, "Man, life is really busy right now. I'm totally stressed out because of X, Y, and Z." But I feel like there's plenty of people out there that are completely under stress and the fight or flight and not aware that they are. What are some things that people could identify as like the fruit of being stressed if they weren't aware that they are? So like the, the opposite side of this coin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the kind of the, the mechanism in our brain behind chronic stress is cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. It's released by some glands on top of our kidneys now, we need cortisol because cortisol helps us metabolize energy that, you know, we eat and sugars and those kind of things. But when it maintains high levels for a long period of time, that's when it becomes just really devastating. And a couple of questions that uh, we can ask ourselves to ask ourselves, are we under chronic stress? So number one, sleep. If, you're, if your sleep is impaired, that's a good indicator. Number two is when we ruminate, we worry about what might happen in the future, it's like a DVD loop constantly, constantly, constantly playing, and we just can't turn it off. It's so huge. I think because we, we, know, we can identify that we live in a busy age, it's easy for the guys I know to say either that's life or that's just my personality. I'm just a fast-paced guy. Or I like to do a lot of things. And the the design of the body is such uh, an interesting, a compelling counter-argument that suggests, uh, no, there actually is a pace at which we're meant to live. There is a, you know, there are practices that contribute to just our well-being and our experience of well-being. The brief history lesson there kind of makes me wonder, as with other pieces of Christian life and practice, why do you think we keep losing this one if it's core to the Desert Fathers and there's a tradition sort of era to era of mindfulness, like contemplative prayer, pausing? Where does this keep going? Well, we lived up in, in an amped up world, and uh, we're living in this world where we're constantly connected all the time. And it's like if you're not connected, you're missing out. In fact, there's a little an acronym called FOMO. It's actually a psychological disorder, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. Wait, wait, wait. I've it's heard a psychological about, it's a disorder. Psycho- <laughs> Is that really? 
It really is. F-O-M-O. It's a, kind of a psychological malady. Fear of missing out. We're afraid we're going to miss out. Well, you know, what's, what's on Facebook? What about Twitter? What, I, I got to stay constantly connected because I'm going to miss out. And the more and more science is realizing this, they're finding out, especially in, in young men and women and teenagers too, it has a, 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 a negative effect on their brain. There's something called cognitive reserve. And my mom's still alive. She's 93. But dementia is really kicking in. But they've done studies on nuns over a period of time. They died, dissected their brains, and they found out that nuns, and this is a great test group because they're all kind of similar experiences. You know, they do some of the same things. They examined uh, their diaries, and they all had you know, similar diaries, that some were clear, clearly had dementia. Everybody knew it. Some, their brain looked the same as those with, with dementia, but their behavior did not evidence that. Cognitive reserve is a term to describe how the brain can take over for other parts of the brain that maybe aren't functioning as well, especially as you age and you get older, your, your brain cells die. I mean, you lose part of your brain in, in the 40s, you start going downhill. So it's an incredible um, concept to understand. And if you take care of your brain now, through practices like take care of your body for sure, through practices like mindfulness, holy noticing, you're going to develop cognitive reserve. So when you get older and that natural effects of aging occur, it's going to have less effect on you. So it's that pay now, play later, play now, uh, pay later. I'm a little bit terrified of losing my brain cells I now. Know. I, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sold now. So it's extremely compelling. You've talked about some of the basic ways and the, the pause between activities to change some of the uh, structured landscape of your life. Now I'd love to go to the model. What does, could you just take us through even letter by letter, what a practice of holy noticing looks like? Starting with, where do you go? And <laughs> like, is this slipping away and sitting in a closet with the lights off? Like, what does yours look like? Yep, yep, cool. Uh, well, one thing I'll mention is that uh, I put a free ebook together at holynoticing.com, holynoticing.com. So if your listeners want to get a free ebook, it kind of summarizes what I'm going to share right now, but it's in print. So basically, it works like this focus on your breath. Say if you're going to take a moment during the day. Well, let's, let's just say in the morning. Let's say in the morning time, you're going to, this is when you kind of spend time with God. Here's what I do. Yeah, I'll do it like that. Here's how I do. I'll close my eyes, kind of be in a quiet place. I'll focus on my breath, focusing on the in-breath, the out-breath, the in-breath, the out-breath. Then I'll pray my breath prayer. Holy Spirit, on the in-breath, breathe on me on the out-breath. Holy Spirit, on the in-breath, breathe on me on the out-breath. Then I have actually some key a key what I call anchor verses, scripture verses that go with each one of these steps. Because if you look at these early desert mystics, uh, desert mothers and fathers, they were deeply committed to scripture. So it wasn't some kind of wild new age thing. They were committed to scripture because they felt like Satan was constantly attacking them in their thought life, which was certainly partially true, but part of it is our thoughts just come from us. So they tied scriptures to their practice, which I have done here. So I recommend some particular verses. I won't go through those specifically, but each at each practice, there are two or three scriptures I recommend that you memorize and incorporate that in. 
So, so Holy Spirit, breathe on me, Holy Spirit, uh, breathe on me. When I kind of, okay, my mind's kind of calmed down now, then I'll say, okay, B for body. A few years ago, uh, the, the doctor thought I had osteoporosis. And that's when you don't have enough calcium in your bones. Sent me to a specialist, and he did a, a bone scan. And a bone scan is basically lay out on a table, they inject uh, radioisotopes into your, in your blood, and they do a scan from the top of your head all the way to the bottom. You get a full picture of your, of your bones. A body scan looks like this. So, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. I imagine a scan going up starting at my left foot, left leg, right foot, right leg, torso, left arm, right arm, all the way up through my head. Slowly, and I pause at different places, and I ask myself, what's the sensation? Am I tense? Am I relaxed? What this does, it does two things. Number one, it'll show you where you're holding your, your stress. I hold my stress in my shoulders. On Sundays when I speak, I will actually do this, and I find sometimes my shoulders are kind of hunched, like, oh, okay, relax those shoulders. A second thing I do in the body scan is I will sometimes stop at a certain part of my body. And this may seem odd, but I've done this before. I've stopped like in this body scan in uh, on my, you know, my torso, and I say, well, Lord, thank you for my liver. <laughs> uh, without a liver working, I'd be dead. So what it does, it gives an opportunity to thank God for this magnificent creation and start your day with a grateful mindset, which is also a good biblical practice. It's also good for your brain. So that's B. So after I do that, then I, in my mind, I'm kind of going through the word B are relationships. So here I imagine concentric circles. So if you can imagine the little circle and that larger circle, larger circle. And what I do, I imagine the person closest to me in that center circle. And of course, for me, it's my wife, Cheryl. So imagine her there, being outstanding in our relationship that needs some work. Have I offended her? How can I pray for her? So just a few moments there, and then I'll bring my, my daughter Tiffany, who lives with us. Sometimes, though, who goes in that center circle is the person I'm struggling with, like, say, a, a leader at church or, 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 or somebody else. And I just have to be honest with the Lord. Say, Lord, is there something about me that needs to change? So I'm really kind of inventorying my relationships. The next circle would be like, you know, a coworker or a neighbor. You know, you're spending a couple of minutes at each of these. So it's inventorying those relationships, and the Holy Spirit may direct you to do something with those. So, Okay, so B, R, E, environment. This is actually being aware of your physical environment. Now, because I close my eyes, look at this good kind of uh, visually cut off things, I would just listen. I have an upstairs loft in our home, and up here in Canada, uh, it gets chilly in the winter upstairs in that loft, so I have a fan on. And sometimes I would just pay attention to the timber and the tone of the fan, of the motor. Uh, sometimes I would just, uh, if I don't have the fan on, I'll listen to the clock ticking. In the summertime when I'm out back, I will listen to the birds. We have a forest behind our house. I will listen for the birds or maybe listen to cars. What this is doing, it's helping me, first of all, appreciate God's creation. It's secondly, it's helping me develop the ability to pay attention. And attention is so important just in life. So, B-R-E-A, that's affect, emotions. So basically here I ask myself, how are you really feeling right now? And there's a, a term called elixithemia, and it's a fancy term, elixithemia. Some people cannot uh, describe their emotions. And it's important for us to be able to describe our emotions because when we have a difficult emotion, 
if we can name that emotion instead of stuffing it, it actually quiets that fight flight center, the amygdala. So it's both good emotions and bad emotions. How am I feeling right now? It's being aware of just really where I am. If I'm really struggling with a negative emotion, I sit there a while with it. I don't try to change it. I just try to be aware of it and, and, and give it back to the Lord. So B-R-E-A-T, okay, T, my thoughts. Now here's a, a fancy word that I've used a few times when I've spoken in our church. It's called metacognition, metacognition. It simply means thinking about your thinking. And most of the time we're on autopilot, we're not thinking about what we're thinking about, and we've got these spinning thoughts, and they spin, 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 spin. So I stop and I ask myself, what are you thinking about right now, Stone? Maybe okay thoughts. It may be like, well, this is stupid. This thought is not a, not of God. So again, what is this doing? Making me pause and think and ask myself, what's going on up here? And this helps a lot during the daytime too. Mm. So B R E A T H. Okay, here's why I envision a spotlight. The Holy Spirit putting a spotlight on our heart. And I'll give you the key um, anchor verse for this: Psalm one thirty nine twenty three and twenty four. Just search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So basically I say, Lord, is there any sin I need to confess? Is there anything you're, you're wanting to whisper to my, my soul? Now, one of the things that will always happen when you practice this, your mind wanders. When it does wander, the beauty of this B-R-E-A-T-H model is you can easily get back to where you were. For example, let's say if I'm at E, environment. And I'm just listening to the, the birds outside, and then I hear a car uh, down the street, and I think, oh, you know, my car has not been running very well. I need to get it checked out. I hope it's nothing bad. Oh, man, if it's really bad, it's going to cost a lot of money, and things are kind of tight now. This, this is not a good situation. I think, whoa, 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 where am I? Where was I? Well, Lord, thank you for reminding me of my mind wonder. Where was I? B-R-E. Oh, yeah, I was in the environment. So it helps you easily get back to where you were without having to think real a whole lot. So that's it, kind of. Oh, well, there, there, wait, there was the last E. Well, the E is to oh, do it. Oh, the last E, yes, is do it. Exactly right. Engage your world, engage your relationships, engage God in the day-to-day. That's really good. Like the fruit of this is that you are not the flag just getting blown around in the wind of your own life. You're not this passive, reactive being, yes. which is mm-hmm. a horrible state of being, and I've definitely had plenty of days and probably years in that state of just react, react, react. Like this, mm-hmm. this slowing, centering uh, is so good. You talk about the ways that Jesus maybe modeled some of this behavior, the, mm-hmm. the way that he noticed, the way that he engaged. What are, what are some examples that you point to? Jesus was, I call him the, the perfect noticer. He noticed when Kids wanted to come to him and the disciples wanted to shoo the kids away. He said, no, no, let the kids come to me. He noticed the woman at the well. He noticed uh, lepers. Now, he was a busy guy, but he was always in the moment, always present in the moment. And then you look at his life. He was busy, but he often pulled away to be with his father because he needed that time uh, to, to recharge. Also, in his teaching, in Matthew 6, when he talked about worry, he would bring people's thoughts to the moment, like, hey, see that flower over there? See that bird right there? So he'd bring them out of their inner world of this constant uh, chatter to, to the moment, 
and he pointed them toward nature. Look how God takes care of uh, takes care of these small items. He's going to take care of you. So Jesus was the perfect noticer in every way. It's such a huge concept. The book is holy noticing. What was the ebook again that guys could get if they just need to look at this again? If you just go to holynoticing.com, that website, it's the book website, but a little pop-up will come up. And the ebook is called, uh, Should Christians Practice Mindfulness? It's a play on words. The answer is yes. But it's a free ebook. They just put their name in. And what, what they do, they'll subscribe to my, a uh, couple times I blog. They can subscribe to that and get the free ebook. If they, if they want to unsubscribe, they get the ebook. They can unsubscribe. So. Yeah. But I've read your blog, and it's great, so there's no worries there. <laughs> Where <laughs> is there anywhere else you would send guys who want to learn more about this practice, more about your resources? Or who want to pick up the book, Holy Noticing? Where should they go? Uh, just Amazon. That's probably the best place. Great. Well, Dr. Stone, thank you so much for some of your time today. This is, this is an area that I love thinking about. It brings us back to the moment. It brings us back to what God is up to. Um, it's so good. So thank you for, for sharing a little bit from your book with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's been great being with you. 